0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Last week, ASEAN convened an emergency foreign ministers meeting to discuss the situation in Myanmar ahead of the ASEAN summit in Bali in a few weeks. What's the latest state of play and why has ASEAN failed to make progress in resolving this crisis? For an update on this situation and also what we should expect from the ASEAN Summit, we speak to Hunter Marston, researcher with the Australian National University, who has been following this issue. Good morning, Hunter. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Good morning. Happy to be here.
0: Now, I'd like to start with just getting um, a picture of what's happening in the country. What do we know about the current level of unrest in Myanmar at the moment? The latest headline coming out of the country was the horrific airstrike on a concert in Kachin State that killed scores of people. Is this reflective of the situation across the country?
1: Well, this is exceptional in some ways, uh, but at the same time, sadly, uh, a bit par for the course. The Myanmar military has shown that it's uh, very willing to use its air force to uh, bomb and attack civilian sites, and uh, a- including um, – uh, targeting uh, civilians for uh, mass casualties like this incident, uh, bombing a concert in northern Kachin state. Um, really tragically, the, the military has also also used its force against schools and monasteries to um, cause unrest and to further instill fear in the population just to try to beat it into passivity, which uh, has completely failed across the board.
0: Are we seeing um, most sites of conflict Um, outside of the main city area, or is unrest also present in the cities as far as we know?
1: Well, they're the occasional uh, sort of guerrilla urban attacks. Um, There are active groups in Yangon primarily, uh, as well as Mandalay, uh, where people's defense force units have um, arisen. Um, But at the same time, the bulk of heavy fighting has been in sort of central plains, Sagang, Um, and in the northwest and northern states such as Kachin, uh, um, Chin State, and Karen.
0: Now, I understand that there's a parallel civilian government, the National Unity Government, which is operating in exile. I'm wondering whether whether the NUG also acts as an umbrella group for all the parties opposed to the military, or does the opposition remain fractured along ethnic and regional lines? How, I guess, united is the resistance to the military junta?
1: An excellent question. Uh, So the national unity government is not completely in exile, actually. Um, So I think that makes it much different than what we saw in the 1990s, Um, with resistance following the uh, military's refusal to hand over power uh, three decades ago. Uh, The national unity government does have some uh, state control within Myanmar, and it is operating educational and health facilities, as well as collecting tax revenue on the ground and raising money for its operations. Uh, But at the same time, it's struggled to bring together a coalition of diverse uh, ethnic armed groups, primarily, and has, um, at the same time, it's really achieved a lot in bringing together these groups for the first real tangible talks at federalism and looking ahead to what Myanmar's democracy might look like in a post-military uh, and democratic Myanmar.
0: So in that sense, it's um, I suppose it's still the main actor, but it, it, we can't really say that there is a united opposition.
1: Well, uh, we could say that the majority of these groups are united in their um, hatred for the military. Uh, okay. And the national unity government and national unity... Uh, Consultative Council are the first steps towards achieving a sort of democratic federalism. Um, It's early days yet in terms of that conversation, and um, there are some significant holdouts, uh, most notably the Arakan Army in Western Rakhine State and the United Wa State Army, which are the most powerful armed groups in the country, have have so far been uh, keeping the national unity government at arm's length and uh, unwilling to completely uh, endorse their um, own fight against the Myanmar military because these ethnic minority groups tend to see the National Unity Government as the latest manifestation of the majority Burman uh, group, and mm-hmm. so therefore, sort of the current civil war as a, a intra-Burman sort of family quarrel: the military versus the NLD, that is National Unity uh, National League for Democracy and Aung San Suu Kyi's party.
0: So there is a lot of complexity to the situation um, that's maybe not captured from the main headlines that we see. I I want to ask you how difficult it has been to get information out of Myanmar since the coup. Um, I understand that most foreign press exited the country post-coup. They're operating operating in neighboring countries instead. Has it been difficult for information to be channeled um, to the outside world?
1: Well, it's difficult. There are still some heroic efforts by local journalists, um, including Frontier Myanmar and Myanmar Now, uh, two sources that I follow pretty closely. Um, And these groups have even uh, sent journalists to cover fighting on the front lines within Myanmar. Um, So we are hearing information about, you know, for instance, the sources and uh, methods for how uh, the people's defense forces are manufacturing their own weapons and some of the real-life struggles of these groups within Myanmar.
0: Um, I do want to just touch a little bit on um, the political prisoners. There there are over 10,000 political prisoners currently being held by the military junta, and the highest profile of them is, of course, Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, She's been sentenced to nearly 30 years in prison over multiple charges. What does this say about the junta's plans to consolidate power?
1: Well, the junta has shown since day one that it has very little respect for or no respect for rule of law. Um, It has actually even trampled its own 2008 constitution by botching the sort of sequence that it would have needed to follow in order to declare a legitimate uh, transfer of power in a a state of emergency to military rule. Um, And since then, it's uh, shown quite clearly that it's prepared just to sort of uh, abolish everything that the NLD and civilian governments achieved prior to the coup, including wiping out the Union Election Commission and charging, uh, or making charges of electoral mismanagement and fraud um, and f- uh, making all sorts of accusations against Aung San Suu Kyi and uh, her party based on corruption and um, embezzlement of funds and misuse of funds, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm.
0: They are planning for um, an election in August 2023, if I'm not mistaken. If nobody from the outside world believes what they're doing, who exactly are they trying to convince of their legitimacy?
1: Well, uh, first things first, the military has never really given um, much attention to what the outside world thinks Uh, since its inception. Um, back in the 1940s and 50s, the military has always looked out for its own interests first and seen itself as the guardian of Myanmar's national unity and integrity. Um, so regardless of who internationally endorses or um, at least tolerates the election or is willing to grant it a shred of legitimacy, the military wants to eliminate all opposition to its power, uh, serious opposition, that is. Um, It's probably willing to tolerate some uh, degree of participation from minor political parties, which cannot form a majority against its preferred um, party, the USDP, which held power from 2011 to 2016, prior to Aung San Suu Kyi's election.
0: Mm. I'm speaking to Hunter Marston of the Australian National University on the situation in Myanmar. We'll have more from this conversation after the break. BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters. I'm Shazana, and with me today is Hunter Marston, a researcher with the Australian National University. We're discussing the situation in Myanmar and ASEAN efforts to bring an end to the crisis. Okay then, ASEAN is the main international group negotiating with the military junta at the moment. Why has the five-point consensus that was passed last April failed to make any headway in resolving the conflict in your point of view?
1: Well, it's, it's a couple of things, really. Um, some push factors and some pull. I think, in part, it's because ASEAN lacks enforcement mechanisms um, and has stuck to sort of its uh, stock language of urging restraint uh, on all parties and immediate cessation of violence before negotiations and political dialogue, um, which are really, you know, valid uh, desires, but without some mechanism to bring those parties together and actually monitor ceasefires, um, we're uh, we're not seeing any progress there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other factor, the sort of push factor, I would say, is that the military has not allowed Um, regular visits or visits that are are freely arranged uh, to meet with the likes of Aung San Suu Kyi and Myanmar's ousted um, politicians and political prisoners. They've kept ASEAN from meeting with uh, those figures and therefore have um, put sort of obstacles in front of any path to progress on the uh, five-point consensus.
0: Hmm. How would you assess the initiatives by Cambodia to mediate with the junta? I mean, they're seen as relatively friendly to the military government. Uh, I believe Cambodian leaders, um, and including the uh, ASEAN envoy, who is the deputy prime minister of Cambodia, they've managed to make visits to Myanmar, but there hasn't been any progress despite these friendly ties. Why is that?
1: Well, the friendly ties might be part of the problem uh, at the same time because uh, Cambodia is not pushing so hard. Um, and, you know, that's... Understandable in some ways, you know, within the ASEAN family, uh, these countries have a certain way of uh, responding to extreme violence and um, political chaos, like the case of Myanmar currently. Um, but Hun Sen's sort of "let's treat them as a member of the family, let's deal with this in house" has not actually panned out, and partly that's because the Myanmar military, in its very cynical way, has been able to play ASEAN against itself. Mm. Um, there, there, there is some signaling, and maybe we'll touch on this: uh, the Indonesia. Which will take up the chairmanship following November's summit uh, may take a different approach. Um, and Retno Marsudi, the foreign minister, has suggested that she's keen to uh, include the National Unity Government and representatives from it uh, in, in upcoming meetings.
0: Mm. I'm wondering if this was discussed um, during the ASEAN Special Foreign Ministers' meeting last week. Um, why exactly was that meeting called, and what was there any particular outcome that um, stood out?
1: Well, they issued a chairman statement, uh, which was rather anodyne. It urged the same sort of points of utmost restraint, immediate cessation of violence, uh, noting its alarm. and it did notably uh, reference one party with significant power on the ground in, in a clear allusion to the military, although this really isn't uh, too much of a departure from past talking points. The primary point of the meeting is preparatory. Um, it's leading up to the ASEAN summit um, in a couple of weeks and I think sets the stage for uh, leaders of ASEAN states to come together and actually talk about uh, – hopefully a more direct path to dealing with this crisis. Um, But it offers little promise that uh, ASEAN states are willing to really think outside the box.
0: Mm. So you sound fairly pessimistic that anything new will come Mm -hmm. out of the ASEAN summit. Do you think that this will only happen when Indonesia takes over the chairmanship next year?
1: Uh, I'm not holding out too much hope for this summit. Um, You know, and ASEAN has an array of other problems at the same time. You know, it's still facing recovery from the coronavirus, uh, as well as economic uh, slowdowns associated with with, um, international shutdowns. Uh, So I, I think it has... You know, an array of topics on its hand, mm. uh, but at the same time, the Myanmar crisis is really one that challenges its internal cohesion and legitimacy and credibility to uh, solve intra-regional shared problems, because Myanmar's crisis really does impact all the other states at the same time. Um, but at the same time, Indonesia's um, press conference uh, and, and hints by the foreign minister, as well as the... Um, Foreign Ministry Director for uh, ASEAN Cooperation Sudarto Suryo uh have suggested that perhaps Indonesia will be more uh, will pursue a stronger line in including representatives, uh, whether or not the military uh, agrees. And 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 Indonesia has the clout to actually overrule some of the uh, opponents within the bloc, including Cambodia, perhaps and Thailand and Vietnam.
0: Mm. You mentioned earlier that um, ASEAN really lacks enforcement mechanisms when it, came, when it comes to the five-point consensus and that it's not really thinking out of the box to resolve the crisis. What would be some of the out-of-the-box approaches um, that could be considered? One of them, as you mentioned, was engaging with the national unity government. But are there other tools that ASEAN possibly has in its arsenal that it's not using?
1: Well, I think um it's unlikely that ASEAN will introduce anything like economic sanctions. I think the inclusion of the national Unity government would be a powerful symbol to the military that ASEAN's prepared to move on and um give the giving the NUG a seat at ASEAN, you know, this is still a stretch to imagine, but it it could mean that the NUG is capable of achieving far more in terms of uh, brokering international agreements regarding um, you know, responses to health crises, economic trade discussions, etc., as well as ASEAN's engagement with outside powers, uh, including China, Japan, Russia, the European Union, the United States, all of these countries who the junta, even though it's extremely isolated, at the same time needs some support from international partners. Hmm. Um, So I think inviting the NUG to attend ASEAN summits would uh, indicate to the military that ASEAN is serious about moving on and the need for uh, the junta to actually pursue dialogue with uh, these stakeholders.
0: A lot of the hope is pinned on ASEAN to mediate a a resolution out of the crisis, but are there no other international groups or any other countries that could play a role as well?
1: Uh, Well... (laughs) China perhaps could, uh, but at the same time, I think China is sort of looking after its own interests first and foremost and primarily has pursued a hedging strategy to sort of indicate to the junta it's frustrated, it's not entirely enthused by its control and its um, prolongation of internal chaos within Myanmar. Um, but at the same time has urged the junta not to dissolve the National League for Democracy, um, has even held uh, talks with the NLD and the NUG meeting its representatives. So I, I think Beijing is signaling it's it's willing to sort of invest cautiously in whichever party emerges on top, mm. so long as its own business interests are taken care of. And it's looking towards its long-term political influence in the country. But that comes at, at the cost of nationwide uh, frustration, really, with uh, Beijing's uh, image now as as the number one backer of the Myanmar military.
0: Mm. What about um, Myanmar and Russia? There have been reports that their ties are becoming um, increasingly close. Is this a product of the war in Ukraine influencing um, the geopolitical dynamics on Myanmar?
1: Actually, I think this dates back a bit further. Um, Min Minong Hlaing, when he became commander-in-chief in 2011, has made, I think, eight visits to Russia now, three since the coup, and finally meeting with Vladimir Putin on his most recent trip to Vladivostok. Um, so Minong Leng has displayed a clear affinity for Russia's style of leadership and its sort of revisionist agenda on the world stage. And at the same time, the Myanmar military is extremely distrustful of China for historical reasons, um, as well as China's uh, ongoing um, Uh, elicit support for uh, some of the armed groups on Myanmar's northern periphery. Um, So Russia serves a very important role in sort of letting the Myanmar military hedge against over-reliance on China, which has always been perceived as sort of one of the number one national security concerns, Mm -hmm. uh, by relying too much on China, which is primarily there to arm its uh, insurrectionist groups as well as extract natural resources from the country, uh, it doesn't put Myanmar in a geostrategic, um, a, a good spot geostrategically.
0: Mm. Do you think that um, we could see the situation in Myanmar um, become similar to what's happening in Ukraine, where we have foreign countries arming um the national unity government, for example, or the resistance movement there. Is there any chance of the situation deteriorating to that level? Or do the circumstances, political circumstances in Myanmar and within the region make that fairly unlikely?
1: Well, I, I think for for one, China really overshadows Myanmar. I don't think the United States uh, is going to get involved in this anytime soon. It, it's, you know, the last year and a half been fairly hands off and just sort of backed ASEAN's efforts. Um limited as they are towards a diplomatic process. But at the same time, China's already arming uh, these groups and is the uh, arming um, the Myanmar military, uh, is the second largest arms provider, if not the top arms provider today of Myanmar's military. We don't have all the latest data. Uh, So in some ways, it's already China's proxy battle uh, on China's periphery. And being that agent of chaos is not a good look for Beijing. Uh, But I don't see this... Uh, really overlapping and multi-sectional civil war um, introducing new players at this point Mm. in terms of Western powers or other great powers sort of coming in and arming their preferred side. Uh, At this point, the People's Defense Forces are clearly getting frustrated with the lack of support from international players, and they've resorted to manufacturing their own weapons. And some of these are coming from other other armed groups at the same time, but uh, they're making homemade rocket-propelled grenades and, and um, uh, rifles to uh, quite effectively actually take out the Myanmar military forces.
0: At this stage, Hunter, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel, or is this just going to be another um, long protracted war?
1: Uh, I see no light at the end of the tunnel yet. Um, the, the light I do see is in um, my conversations with folks in the national unity government and a hearing of their stories and efforts to build a coalition across Myanmar involving the next generation, involving uh, underrepresented groups and ethnic minority groups uh, together to talk about what a federal democracy would look like in their country, promising rights to the Rohingya. Uh, who have been historically persecuted and, and you know, hundreds of thousands driven out of the country. Uh, these are remarkable days. Um, at the same, same time, it's an extreme tragedy that the civil war is probably going to last for many more years, um, which brings me pain to no joy to say. Uh, but the Myanmar military has dug in and it's shown that it's prepared to shoot its way out of this war. Um, and it sadly has the bulk of the weapons in the country.
0: Hunter, thank you very much for speaking with me today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.
0: I've been speaking to Hunter Marston, researcher with the Australian National University. This has been Pressing Matters on the morning run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. news bulletin, and then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories
1: of the same kind, download the BFM app.